But good morning, church family, and all of those who are watching online. Um, we say uh, thank you for being super flexible. And, 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 you know, some people have already speculated that the weather issue is my fault because last Sunday I talked about how great the weather's been. And so if you want to blame me because it's easier, um, I'll, I'll take that. I'll receive that. But we're glad and thankful that we have this technology that we're able to be flexible, to adjust on the fly. Um, already miss seeing you. It's, it's amazing. Like just even the anxiousness I was feeling about going to live streaming only without anybody in the crowd again. But that's the times that we live in and God is good. He's faithful. He's sovereign. Nothing changes that. And so um, before I, I get into any other little details, I want you to be ready. Turn to Daniel chapter 6, okay? We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning, um, but also want to say this and acknowledge this so we can comment and post and like on this. I want to say thanks again to our tech team. Um, you, you don't know, my wife saw it, the flurry of text messages that I was having with the lead team and Josh Broccolo and trying to figure this all up. And so what you don't know is that they came early this morning to set up everything so that we could be live here in our worship space to live stream to you. And so again, we are in debt to you. Thank you so much, tech team in the back. You guys are awesome. Truly, truly love you. Um, so yeah, I would encourage you post and like and heart emojis and all that kind of good stuff. And so then do it. Don't be distracted. Let's come back in and focus. Um, we are wrapping up this series that we've been in for the last four weeks, and we're going to be landing the plane this morning as we look at Daniel and the concept of yours is the kingdom and reminding ourselves that no matter what happens in our context, no matter what happens around us, God is in control. God is sovereign, and that shouldn't change how we live, right? Like it shouldn't, we don't have room as believers to be in panic or despair because if God is sovereign, that means God doesn't change. And we have been looking at the story of Daniel and, and his companions and understanding that they were ripped away from their home from Jerusalem, right? Which is, Israel is God's nation, it's God's people, it's God's city. And, and due to some of their sin and disobedience, God caused Babylon to come and take them captive, right? But it didn't change their view of God. It didn't change their perspective. They were able to still stand strong and love well in a home that's not their home, in a culture that's not like their culture. They understood that God is sovereign. And we look at Daniel chapter two, and Daniel made it very clear that it's God who sets up kings. And as we look at this year, and we looked at just this previous season that we've been in with the election, and we're still in this season, we could feel anxious. We can feel this sense of like um, despair or panic or what's going to happen. And, and a lot of times we can lose sight of the bigger picture, but we live in a greater story. And that greater story is the kingdom of God. And for us who follow Jesus, we know the score at the end of the game. And that's why we shouldn't despair and we shouldn't panic because we know who's on the throne. And it doesn't change our responsibility in our modern day Babylon. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at the end of Daniel's life. And probably one of the most popular Sunday school stories Ever. So if you haven't turned to it, I want to encourage you to turn to it now, Daniel chapter 6. And if you've been part of church world for some time, maybe you just, you're popping into church now, but you remember going to Sunday school, I want to encourage you, don't look at Daniel chapter 6 as a rerun. 
Like you already know, like, oh, it's Daniel's in a lion's den. I know this story. It was a great story. I remember sitting on my little color square in the classroom and a teacher would call us together to all sit together. And we would sit on the floor, crisscross applesauce. And the teacher would pull up this blue board, which we know is a flannel graph and would have the pictures of Daniel and the lions. And the lions didn't eat Daniel and he probably cuddled with them and played fetch with them and all that kind of stuff. And we remember the story story and being amazed that Daniel was able to survive and, and he was courageous and we're exhorted to be courageous like Daniel. And yeah, I know the story, so why should I listen? <laughs> because that's not the part of the story that we actually should be impressed with. When we look at Daniel chapter 6, the reality is it's not really an appropriate Sunday school story if you think about it, right? It, it's, a, it's a story about intrigue and deception. And it's actually really cruel when you think about the punishment. We're going to throw a guy into a den of lions who've been starved on purpose so that way they can devour and rip apart the prisoner. But it's a great Sunday school story. But it's a really a much better adult story. So don't treat this like a rerun. Because what we're going to discover is this is the pinnacle of how to stand firm and love well in our modern day Babylon, okay? This is not a rerun. And I know I already said this, but I want you to grab hold of this. This is not even really a children's story. This is a story for us who follow Jesus now about how to live a life of deep significance and impact in our modern day Babylon, how to stand strong and to love well today, how to live with the mindset that the kingdom is God's and our role and our purpose here is still to be salt and light. The beginning of Daniel chapter 6, we're, we're picking up on the heels of Daniel chapter 5. And, and chronological speaking, chronologically speaking, this is the end of the 70 years. And we know that God already told Israel before it happened in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29 and even Habakkuk chapter 1 that God was going to send a nation, Babylon, to punish his children, to refine their faith for the sin and to get them ready for something greater. We're going to be digging into the series, you know, the future is bright, looking at the hope in a future that God has already prepared in advance for Israel. They knew that the 70 years was there. We know that at the end of the seven-year period, God promised that there's going to be another nation that's going to conquer Babylonia. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be the source of punishment on Babylon. And that's where chapter 6 picks up. If you, were, if you have it with you, Daniel chapter 6, let's start here. Okay? Let's start with verse 1. And I want you to be asking the question. Okay, now the nation of Medes, in Persia, they come together, and Darius is the king, and he comes in and he captures Babylon. He captures and takes over the what once was the greatest empire in the known world, and now we have another empire that is a greater power than Babylon, known as the Medes and Persians, coming in. Here's the question. When you take over an empire, what do you do? What do you do? Okay. So I want that question to be just sitting in your mind. So let's look at this verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Now a satrap is basically like a governor or a senator. 
So there's 120 governors or senators that are going to be established throughout the whole kingdom, which is basically the Middle East and the Far East where Mede and Persia comes from. And over them, three high officials. Now, these three high officials consider them to be like prime ministers. Okay, so Darius, the king, sets over the whole kingdom, 120 governors or senators to be throughout the whole kingdom, and three prime ministers, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps which should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Now, I want you to grab hold of this, okay? Now, this is a fascinating thought. If you are the king of an empire that's taking over another empire that was a, an opposing empire, enemy, a, a large and domineering and powerful empire, what would you do? Traditionally, historically speaking, they behead the rulers, the nobility, and any of the family members of that existing empire because they don't want any threat. So it, it, it should cause us to go, how did Daniel show up here? Right? Like, it, like if you were part of the Medo-Persian Empire coming into there, you would think that all of the satraps and all of the high officials, the senators and the prime ministers, would come from the Medo-Persian Empire. It wouldn't, they wouldn't come from Babylon. It especially wouldn't come from Israel. So how did Daniel show up here? Okay? Look at verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished. That is a beautiful line. The Hebrew of this word distinguished actually gives us this feel that like he was preferred. He, he was preferred over the others. There was something inside of him that set him apart. In fact, it goes on to say that he was distinguished above all of the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. There was something about his integrity, about his character about the way he lived in Babylon. You have to remember where he came from. He was an Israelite living in Jerusalem 60-some years ago. A 16-year-old boy was taken captive, ripped from his home and his family, and forced to go through a different culture, a different value set, acclimated into the religion and academic program of the Babylonian Empire. It's this Daniel... That he stood out. He was so preferred that somehow King Darius must have heard about Daniel. Somehow they must have had this rumor about how there was this Hebrew boy who stood above all of the rest. That he wasn't preferential to King Nebuchadnezzar. He just told the truth as it were. He wasn't a threat. He graduated Kumasun Laude in magic school. Like he, he was someone that you would just look forward to. And all of a sudden they brought him in. And, and Darius heard about it, probably saw the way he lived and said, I want him to be one of the three prime ministers. This Hebrew slave was overseeing, he was overseeing all of the other folks from the, the Medo-Persian empire. Do you think that would have ruffled a few feathers? Do you think that would have caused a little bit of jealousy and bitterness and maybe some anger? Do you think that maybe this could have undermined the credibility of King Darius? You don't do this. Daniel should have been killed when the Medo-Persian Empire took over Babylon. It should have happened. But it's not what happened. Darius knew something about Daniel and he was preferred. He was distinguished and he wanted, look at this now. 
He wanted to put him even over the whole kingdom. Like Daniel was so preferred that he was going to be over the other two prime ministers. So let's look at what happens. Verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps, the two prime ministers and the 120 governors, well, they sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Look at the, and I would encourage you to underline this. But they could find no ground for a complaint or any fault because he was faithful and there was no error or fault to be found in him. We know exactly how this goes, don't we? When someone rises to a prominent position and someone wants to take you out, we know exactly what they do. In fact, we saw this happen. We just we're in an election cycle, right? What do the opponents do to the candidate that they want to get to? Like, they don't speak positive things about them. They don't go, wow, you know what? So-and-so candidate, he's actually a really good guy. You really should consider him. No, no. They dig for skeletons in a the closet. They're even willing to distort some things, take certain phrases or actions out of context in order to, to make that person look bad, not favorable, so they wouldn't be in that position of power. There's great intrigue here. But as they looked in his closet, as they tried to dig for these skeletons, they couldn't find anything. He was faithful. There was no air to be found inside of him. So they continue in verse 5. These men then said, well, we shall not find any ground for a complaint against this Daniel unless, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. In other words, unless we find it in his faith. So let's put this into adult perspective for a moment, okay? Because this is where we need to be impressed. This is the part of the story where we should go, oh my goodness, this is intriguing. How, how could they find no skeletons in Daniel's closet? Like how could they not find any error in him? Any mistakes in him? It wasn't, we're not saying that Daniel was perfect. He surely wasn't. And that's why it says in relation to the kingdom, he was flawless. He was blameless. He was full of integrity. He stood strong in his faith, in his convictions. Absolutely. And we have chapter 1 through 5 to prove that. They couldn't see it. So they said, well, we're not going to find it in his character. We're not going to find it in his conduct and work and his faithfulness to the king. We're going to have to look at his faith. So let's, let's just remember this, okay? Because I know in this moment... And this is where the Sunday school stories really kind of betray us because we start to think that maybe Daniel is a young man at this point. But we have to remember the chronological history here. This is towards the end of the 70 years. So if Daniel was 16 years old in chapter 1, this is 66 years later. So that makes Daniel roughly 85 to 90 years old. Think about that for a moment. 66 years. They dug through 66 years of history to see if they could find any fault inside of him. What this tells me is that Daniel served God faithfully, obediently for 66 years. He was per persevering and staying true. He was seeking the welfare of the city. Just like God told Jeremiah to exhort the nation of Israel. Like, yes, you're going to be in captivity. You're going to be in this hostile empire. that it, You don't like them. But listen, 
I'm putting you there. Plant your gardens there. Build your families there. And seek the welfare of the city. And pray on behalf of the city for their welfare to the Lord. Daniel did that for 66 years. For 66 years of living in Babylon. In a different home that wasn't his home. In a different culture that's not like his culture. In a different value system that wasn't like his value system. 66 years of being in that educational system. 66 years of interacting with the wise men of the day, the philosophers of the day. 66 years of serving in a high position in the government of Babylon. No intern scandals. No, no patting his pockets. No falsifying numbers. No negative tweets or memes. Nothing like that. 66 years he stood strong, loved well. Integrity, humility, compassion, a servant heart. That's impressive. In fact, I would even dare to say, that's the miracle of the story. It's not that God saved him from the mouths of the lions, even though that is an awesome part of the story. That's the part of the the story that you can make a movie on. But it was his character. He stood strong and served well for the long haul. Surely there has to be something in him. But they couldn't find any corruption. No negligence nothing. To be honest with you, as I was thinking about that, like, I asked myself the question, 66 years from now, and if people wanted to look through my life, would I be terrified? Like, what skeletons would they find in my closet? Like, Daniel lived a life above reproach. He lived a life that demanded an explanation, and that's how he stood out And that's what made him so distinguished. God elevated him. And the King Darius of the Medo-Persian Empire preferred him over his own people. Friends, listen, we have to learn how to live a life that demands an explanation in our time, in our context, in our culture. Regardless of what happens around us, we have to be mindful that the kingdom isn't the people in elected offices. It's not the education system. The kingdom is God's. It will forever be his kingdom. His kingdom has no end. God is the one that establishes kings and rulers and nations. And to God, they're like a drop in the bucket. We're caught up in a larger story. We have to be mindful of that. When we understand the sovereignty of God, it should change how we live. And our lives should demand an explanation for the hope we have. Our faith has to be expressed beyond just words. It is so easy for us to tell the world around us that, hey, I believe in God. That's one thing. It's a whole nother ball game when you can tell people to say, hey, look at my life because my life will tell you about my faith in God. That's important. It's one thing to simply tell the world, I believe in God. And it's a whole nother thing to say, yes, I believe in God and I want my life to tell you and to show you about my faith in God. Our lives have to demand an explanation Think about that. As long as we are breathing, our lives should reflect the hope we have in Jesus. People should be asking the question, why do you do this? Why do you talk the way you talk? Why do you think the way you think? Why do you give the way that you give? Why do you serve the way that you serve? Why do you love the way that you love? 
Why can't people find any corruption or negligence in our character? Because it has to be rooted and anchored in the hope that we have in Jesus. It is this. This is what made Daniel stand apart. He was constant. He was consistent in his obedience. They couldn't find anything in his character, so they went after his faith. Now, you have to put this in in the front of your mind. These folks probably didn't know much about the uh, the faith of the Hebrews. They didn't know much about Judaism. So they had to learn it. And so these folks more than likely had to observe Daniel. And Daniel knew what was going on. He's been through this before. He's already elevated to positions of influence and authority in the kingdom of Babylon. He knows that that's a threat to other people. He understands that. Right? Just like light is always going to be a threat to any form of darkness. So we should understand that. So they were watching his faith. They were observing him. What does he do? What are the values of their faith? What do they say? What do they really believe? And as they watched Daniel, they started to observe a few things. That his life is following a different set of rules. Right? They wanted to attack him at those moments and those intersections that could cause conflict with the king, Darius, in the empire of the Medo-Persian empire. They observed him. 66 years, he was faithful, unflinching, standing firm in the Lord, standing firm in his faith and his resolve in loving well. His life demanded an answer. So let's look at this. Verse 6. Then these high officials and the satraps, now the prime ministers, the other ones, and the senators, they came by agreement to the king and said to him. Now just think about that. They came by agreement. In other words, they had a one-off meeting without the king there, without Daniel being there. Intrigue, meetings in secret and in the darkness. And they said to the king, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, it's not that long, but just for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. O king Darius signed the document and the injunction. So they flattered the king and they say, hey king, we know the people. We, we hear the word on the street. We know it's probably even good to establish our authority over the Babylonians. We should really help people understand that you're the king. So let's sign this injunction. Let's make a rule or a law across the land just for 30 days, king, just for 30 days, that everybody who prays to any other god, because in the ancient Near East, there was tons of gods, and even sometimes they would make petitions to other men as gods, so that anybody who would pray or make a petition to any other god or any other man besides you, O king, just for 30 days, not that big of a deal, people can handle anything for 30 days. If they do this, if they pray to anybody else besides you, just throw them to the lions. The king's like, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And so he signs the document. Now, the king assumes something, right? Because these guys totally lied to the king. 
all of the rulers, all of the prefects, all of the high officials, all of the satraps, we're all in agreement. Where was Daniel? He wasn't in that room. So the king made an assumption that Daniel was also in on this, that somehow Daniel was in agreement with this plan. He had no idea. Darius had no idea how this was going to affect Daniel. He, he, he preferred Daniel over his folks. So like this, this wasn't like, cautious, like just flippant thing. Like he made a logical assumption that Daniel was in it. And Darius doesn't know the faith of Daniel. He doesn't understand the ins and outs and the rhythms and the values of his faith. He had no idea how this injunction would put Daniel at a crossroads. And that was the trap. Now, let's take a pause here because these folks, these, these high officials and the satraps, they didn't know about Judaism. They didn't know about the faith of Daniel, so they had to observe him. And if they were observing the faith of Daniel, and also they made this plan for 30 days to attack prayer, what do you think they noticed in Daniel's life? Where do you think that they said, oh, we could get him here? Prayer. So that assumes they saw Daniel do something faithfully, consistently, all the time. Why prayer? It's because they saw Daniel pray all the time. All the time. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew, that is an important statement. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, Daniel knew what what was on the line. Like he had to make a decision. What do I do? Is this a cause for civil disobedience? Or do I just change some things for 30 days? I mean, it's just 30 days. God has to understand. I mean, I've been faithful for these 66 years. God, come on, I've already endured so much. I mean, ugh. Daniel knew what was on the line. He knew what was on the line. He also knew the prophecy. He also knew God's word. He knew that at the end of 70 years, because it said in Habakkuk and it said in Jeremiah, that at the end of 70 years, God had a hope in the future and that they would start to come back to Jerusalem. In fact, Darius probably already started to have some folks go back to Jerusalem by this time. Why would I compromise the ability to go back to Jerusalem? Daniel knew what was on the line. So, verse 10, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Here it is. As he had done previously. This, this wasn't abnormal to him. In fact, this is what they saw Daniel do. He prayed three times every day, looking to Jerusalem on his knees in reverence and giving homage to the king of kings. This wasn't abnormal to Daniel. It wasn't like Daniel saw the ordinance and went, oh my goodness, my life is on the line. I better pray more serious now. Let me amp up my fervency in prayer like we like to do when there's a hard moment. Like, oh my goodness, we don't know what's going to happen. We should pray even harder now. Like this, this was part of Daniel's normal living. This is what he normally did for 66 years. For 66 years, he prayed three times a day. He would go to his house 
three times a day for 66 years. He would shut his doors, open up his window. It was almost like a lattice and points himself towards Jerusalem. That wasn't required of the law at that point, but he just knew he wanted to set his heart and his mind to Jerusalem to remind himself that this is not my home. My kingdom is not this kingdom. My kingdom is his kingdom. I'm not part of this empire. I'm part of that empire. And for three times every day for 66 years, he anchored his heart, his mind, and his faith in God. This wasn't abnormal to him. He knew what was on the line. He knew the decree. He knew that if he continued praying the way he prayed before, he would be thrown into the den of the lions. There was no way of avoiding that. He chose to keep doing what he has always done. He stood strong and he loved well. This moment, friends, like this moment was significant because I know it's tempting for us when it comes to these types of issues. And I know some of you are thinking about this, like where's the line of civic disobedience for the believer when our faith is being threatened and all that kind of stuff. I don't have the time to go into all of that. But Daniel had a faith in the sovereignty of God that he knew that even if he was to be thrown into the den of the lions, that his God could save him from the mouth of the lions. And if not, he knew he was still going to heaven, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. No different. And he wasn't making a protest. He wasn't making a big scene out of this. In fact, we tend to think that when he prayed in his room with his windows open, like it was a public display. It wasn't a public display. It was something he was doing in private. Some people were spying on him. He wasn't like trying to make a big deal out of this. He could have compromised. He could have simply said, okay, I'll change things. I'll just pray in my mind as I go about my day. He could have done that. But he knew this moment was significant. And again, he had the resolve. He drew a line in the sand all the way back in Daniel chapter 1 that he wanted his life to demand an explanation that the reason why he was salt and light in Babylon. And the reason why he's going to be salt and light in this empire is not because of Babylon or the Medo-Persian Empire. It's because of God. He wanted God to be on display, not himself. Daniel knew all of this. You could almost say that his whole life built up to this one moment. What would he do for these 30 days? He was obedient for 66 years. Would he give up now? Of course not. Would he still bow God, bow down to God and trust God? 100%. Absolutely. Daniel knew that if he were to lose his lifeline of prayer, he would lose everything. Daniel understood something about prayer that a lot of times we don't understand. He wasn't willing to give this one up. He's like, no. This is how I've been surviving in Babylon. This is how I've been able to be salt and light in Babylon. This is how I've been able to stand strong and love well in Babylon. If I can't pray, if I can't bow down to my king of kings who is ultimately putting up any other king around me, if I can't remind myself and root my heart and my faith in the fact that God is the king and his kingdom is the kingdom, if I can't remind myself that my empire is not this empire, I don't know how I'll be able to survive. Prayer was vital to Daniel. And, and, and let's, let's also make another connection here. He didn't have to somehow make this decision in this moment. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. It wasn't like all of a sudden he's going, what do I do? Do I become obedient or not obedient? This decision was made all the way back in chapter 1. He, he chose all the way back in chapter 1 to be resolved to stand for Jesus 
for God at that moment. His life was consistent all the way through. He believed that God was sovereign. He believed that God was faithful. And God wasn't going to about to change that. God doesn't change. He knew that. God is sovereign. And that rooted everything in him. He knew that God established him in Babylon. He knew that God took them from Jerusalem to Babylon. He knew all these things. So he didn't change anything for him. So why would he all of a sudden abandon God's faithfulness to become faithless himself? Friends, that's why we have to be extremely careful when our context around us changes. That's why I've been saying from the beginning of the series for the believer, we have no reason to despair or panic. None. Because if we give in to despair or panic or anxiety based upon things around us, that is just a verdict upon our faith that we do not believe in God's sovereignty. God doesn't change. So why would my obedience and my faithfulness to God change if things changed around me when my God doesn't change? This decision has to be made today. If that isn't resolved in our faith today, when the tempting moments to compromise our faith comes in the future, we will be prone to want to give up and to give in and to compromise. Make that decision today, just like Joshua did at the end of his book. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Regardless of what comes, regardless of what changes around me, I'm resolved and fixed. We will serve the Lord regardless of what happens. God is faithful. God is sovereign. He is always good. He cannot change. So why would I change? This is what's impressive in this story. This is the part of the story where we got to go, oh. And I know it's tempting to go, well, it was Daniel. I can't do that. If Daniel can do it, he was a sinful, flawed person just like you and I. If Daniel can do it, we can do it. He just remained connected and faithfully rooted in God. That is the key for us as well. So, as the story continues, of course, the satraps and the other high officials, they catch Daniel praying, and they go rat him out to the king Darius. Hey, Darius, remember that, that in, in, injunction that you, you, know, you signed, you put your little ring on it, and you said that this is good, people can only pray to me for 30 days. Remember that? Well, um, yeah, there's this guy by the name of Daniel. He, he pays no regard to you, king. And Darius is like, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Because Darius had tremendous respect for Daniel. He preferred Daniel over all of the other leaders. And he was trying to find a way to get out of it, but he couldn't do it because that was the law. Any law of the Medes and Persians is, is, is close to a command from God. You can't go against that. And so King Darius had no option but to throw Daniel into the den of the lions. He had to. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the alliance. And the king declared to Daniel, check this out. May your God, whom you serve continually. Like there, there was something about Daniel's faith that now is being made known to Darius. Like you've never changed. You've been faithfully serving this God continually. May he deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of the Lord that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace 
And he spent all night fasting and he couldn't even sleep because he was so worried about what was going to happen. This is impressive. King Darius knew you've been serving your God continually throughout your whole time here. This, this king is not a follower of God, but yet he recognizes something substantial in Daniel. Whom you serve, I love this. Then in verse 19, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as they came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish because he already assumed that Daniel was goner. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, underline that. That's a fascinating title that King Darius gives to Daniel's God, servant of the living God. Has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? That is fascinating. Out of all of the hundreds of gods in the ancient years, not one had the title living God. But Daniel's God was recognized as something altogether different than all the other gods that King Darius had to say, the living God. And Daniel's response is fascinating because like I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, if I was Daniel and if I was thrown into the den of lions and the king comes the next morning, the one who's responsible for the edict, the one who's responsible for throwing me into the den of lions and he asked if I was okay, what would I say? And I, I'm just going to be honest. This is probably what I thought I would do. Yeah, king, I'm good. <laughs> in fact, come here. I want to show you my new pet. Right? Like, come in here. He's hungry. But that's not how Daniel responded. Daniel responded with such respect and love. And Daniel said to the king, oh, king, live forever. Like, that, that, I wouldn't do that. I'd be so mad. I'd be like, man, come on. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up from the den. I mean, this is, this is one of those stories where you just go, that part's awesome, being saved from the mouth of the lion, but we have to be even more impressed with his character. Do you know who this reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus. The Pharisees, they couldn't find any fault with Jesus. And he was a threat. He was a threat to the religious system. And the Jews made him a threat to the Roman Empire. They could find no corruption, no deceit, no negligence. They tried to take his words out of context. So what did they go after? They went after his faith. They said he was blaspheming because he said he was the son of God. He was speaking to his father as if he was equal with God. And so they convinced Pontius Pilate that he was a threat to the peace and that Caesar would be threatened by this new king. And so they decided to kill him. And before Jesus uh, died on the cross, he even said to his father in heaven, to the folks around him, Father, forgive them, showing such love and mercy and grace. As he's hanging on the cross, gasping for air, he stood strong and loved well. And even one of the thieves on the cross next to him said, forgive me. And even in that moment, Jesus even said, you will be with me today. I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. And he died. And then they threw his body into a tomb and left him for dead. Just like Darius threw Daniel into a den and left him for dead. It was later that they discovered that nothing, not even the grave, could keep Jesus back he resurrected. 
No matter what happens in our lives, friends, no matter what happens, even if our earthly temporal bodies get killed here on this earth for standing firm in our faith, listen, we will be resurrected. Nothing can stop God. Nothing can stop the resurrection power of God. Nothing. This left a significant impact on the king. Look at verse 25 and on. Actually, let me just jump to verse 26 on. He makes this new proclamation to the whole kingdom. And in fact, he even says to the whole world. I jumped ahead a little bit. I make a decree that in all of my royal dominion, people are to tremble and to fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. This is the king of the greatest empire on earth saying this. He alone delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. How do we live a life of significance in our modern day Babylon? How do we do this? Well, we got to look at what God had in Daniel. What's impressive in this story isn't that God saved Daniel from the mouth of the lion. Like when we understand stories of like God and saving people, like that shouldn't be a huge surprise. But what should really be impressive is realizing that God had Daniel's heart for 66 years in an evil empire. And Daniel remained faithful. Our significance ultimately is not found in our titles. It's not found by the fact that we say we're a Christian. It's not found in our positions. It's not found in our statements of faith. Our ultimate significance is found in our testimonies and how we live. Does your life demand an explanation for the hope that you have in Jesus? It is so important. So as I close, I want to encourage you to do one thing. One thing. Because I could give you a whole list of things. But this story made it very clear to highlight one thing that Daniel did. Be a person of prayer. Be resolved to pray consistently. Setting your heart on the King of Kings and on his kingdom. Do that consistently. Don't just pray in moments of crisis. Like I know that's tempting. And in fact it's okay. Because it draws you back to the father. But be a consistent person of prayer. Daniel chose to be a man of prayer. He knew it was on a line. He wasn't going to give that up. Today. Choose to pray. And if you don't know how to pray. Just follow the example that the Lord taught the disciples, the Lord's Prayer. And I would even encourage you, there is something powerful and beautiful about the posture of kneeling. So kneel before the Father in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. That is just a simple reminder of who he is, where he's at, our relationship to him, and how he is over all things 
And if you keep following that prayer, this is a beautiful picture about his kingdom. It's his kingdom and we should desire for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. And in that posture of prayer, that model that he taught us, we start to understand our, our desire, not our desire, our need for dependence. Be a person of prayer. I know a lot of times, especially, you know, being in Bible churches, we, we got to be a person of the word. You got to be a person of the word. Yes, 100%. But this really only gets into our heart when it's matched with prayer, when the Holy Spirit starts to work and open up our hearts and our minds to it. Prayer is the lifeline for our faith, for our passion, for our obedience. Jesus modeled this to us when he lived on earth. He was the son of God. He modeled this amazing life of prayer. You want to know how to live faithful today in our modern day Babylon, how to stand strong and resolved in our faith to know where to draw the lines and yet how to show respect and love and honor to other people in positions of authority above us, even people that we don't agree with or even like or even voted for. You pray. Because remember in the model that Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us. Jesus modeled this for us, forgiving the ones who threw him on the cross. This is what we need today. And yes, 2020 has been a, can I just say it? I'm, I'm going to say it. It's been a crappy year. Yeah, I, I said crappy. I'm sorry. It's been a rough year. It's been a tough year. Some of us lost a lot of ones with COVID. Some of us are still afraid of COVID, and, and rightly so. And some of us still feel very unsettled with politics and the economy and jobs and what's going to happen. And, and I know there's people with all sorts of conspiracy theories about what's happening to the church and all this kind of stuff. And God hasn't changed. God is still on his throne. He's not surprised. None of this. We're here to be salt and light. So friends, we as a church, we're going to pivot strong now after this series. We want to look to the hope in the future that we have in Jesus. We want to look how to be people of hope, people of light, people of love, people of goodness. Because really the church is the hope of the world through Jesus. Nothing else is. And I said this before, this is our moment. And I know I'm talking long, but I just want to share this with you. This is our moment, church, to show off Jesus. This is our moment to be salt and light. Resolve today, today, not later. Let's stand strong and let's love well. So Father, I pray, Lord, that as we continue to think about your word and your spirit in our time around us. God, I ask that you would give us the heart like Daniel had. To be faithful to you, come what may. To be resolved to love you and to love others, come what may. To be a person of prayer, come what may. To be rooted in your word, come what may, to love our enemies, 
even if they're trying to dig up dirt and, and accuse us and, and twist our words and say that we believe in this or that, and when, that's not even true. Help us to love and show mercy and grace. God, would you give the church wisdom to know when to be civilly disobedient when push comes to shove? But Lord, we're not at that place yet. We're focused on so many other things right now. But Lord, help us to be focused on you and staying rooted in you and how to love others well. God, you've told us that we have this hope and future awaiting us and there are so many people in our world that need the hope that we have in Jesus. So God, I pray that you would move in our hearts as a church to be salt and light. We serve the only living God. All other gods are dead and defeated. They're not even God's. So Lord, I ask that you would do what you do best in our hearts as we conclude this time. Would you seal your word and your desires for us in our hearts right now? In Jesus' name, amen.